What's up, Sabrina, and welcome to a very special boardroom out of office, our first ever boardroom episode on the terrace of our offices in Manhattan. Thank you and welcome. Thank you for having me. So we talk all the time. We're friends. Um, I'm honored to be able to work with you and we share ideas. But recently when I saw you in the All-Star Game and I've seen how well you played statistically this entire season, it kind of hit me that while all of us have gone through so much in the last two, two and a half years, that because of that, a lot of times we don't focus on what an individual may have had to go through because we've all had to go through stuff. But when I started to think about everything that you've had to deal with as a professional basketball player starting in March of 2020, it really dawned on me that like what you've had to fight through has really been a lot. So um, let's start in March of 2020. Obviously you had, had dealt with before that, like the rest of the nation, a really emotional event, but focusing on your basketball career in March of 2020, what happened at Oregon when the whole world shut down and when sports shut down? Because you guys had a very good chance to win the national championship. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what the season was like all about that. And particularly like after the incident happened with, you know, what happened in January, it was like that season almost felt like we were playing to win a championship because of all the stuff that happened and the hardship that we all went through as a team after the accident. So it was it was hard to have had that season canceled. Um, we all found out we weren't even together. We all were waiting to you know, figure out what we were gonna be seated. And um, we never really got a goodbye from being with that special team, a historic team. And so I think that's never really settled to the fact like we really wanted to win a national championship and that got taken away from all of us. So it really was like you all dispersed this team that you had been spending so much time with and aspiring to win a chip with, you never got closure with in any way? No, like we still text about it today. Like we haven't, though sometimes we'll get two or three or four of us together. I mean like, dang, this is the closest that we've all been together since the world shut down two years ago. But it's like, we were together for three or four years and we were building to win a championship and then the world shut down and we just have not all been in the same place. Wild. Yeah. That'd be wild for any group of friends that spent that much time together in school to begin with. But you guys all being a part of a team, that's crazy. And, and a lot of the women, you know, went in different directions. Some, I'm sure, did not continue on to play basketball. But you went on and became right away the number one pick in the draft. June, did they do the draft or May? Yeah, I think it was June. So about two months after your season had shut down. And did you move right to New York City right after that? So yeah, the draft was virtual, which yeah. was an event in itself. What was that? Um, I didn't even hear my name being called, honestly. The reception was off. We were with like five or six family members because you weren't allowed to be in groups of people watching it on TV. And I thought I heard my name. I tried to read her lips, but there was a delay. So it was quite interesting. That's Not wild. really what anyone had expected their like big draft day to be, but um, we made the most of it, yeah. but uh, we went straight to a bubble. So that was definitely interesting, you know, being drafted and then having to go straight into a bubble, no family, no friends, no contact with anyone um, in Florida. So the, the, the moment of getting drafted beyond missing out on, let's say the excitement and the whole scene of being on television, 
the things that a number one pick has to do, getting themselves settled, starting their business, starting to figure out where they're gonna live, none of that was even able to happen, right? You just went right to a training camp and right into this wobble, they called it? Yeah, no, none of that stuff happened. Like last year was the first year that I was like, oh, I wonder what it's gonna be like playing in New York City in front of fans and like, where am I gonna live? What places do I wanna go eat? I've never traveled to any of these cities to play the teams that we normally yeah. play. So it was almost like last year was the first year of me being in the league and actually seeing what it was like and experiencing what like a daily life was as a professional basketball player. So you guys went right to this wobble and um, it got a lot of press for how poor the accommodations were. You weren't there long, which we can talk about in a second, but was it a real culture shock, like coming from this insane campus at Oregon and being the toast of the town and then to this wobble set up in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the, the main thing was just the fact that you were thrown into this world of like just basketball and there was no escape. Like everyone there that you ran into, you were competing, you know, against. And so I think that was the major difference was like you didn't really have a safe space to just go and like try and detach from the fact that you're playing every other day you're practicing every other day you're seeing the players that you're playing against and for me like I'm so competitive like I didn't want to hang out with the other teams and yeah. I didn't want to like go to the pool and do all this stuff like I was there for business and wanting to win so I would just go back to my hotel room and stay there all day until practice or the game the next day. Did you almost feel as if like you weren't actually a rookie that you were like had went to this other tournament yeah you it felt like you're to... like in high school like AAU travel ball you're just going to the hotel you're stuck there yeah it did not feel like i was a professional athlete at all and you had just been competing at oregon and now you're competing against people you don't even know and um and completely isolated were you feeling good did your game feel good going into it yeah, my game felt good. I think it was hard because there was a huge like gap of from when I played in college to getting drafted because the world all you know took a break. But I think um, like I felt good. I I kind of was just riding off what happened in college. Yeah. It was just kind of it just kept rolling over, kept going. Um, I didn't really have time for this whole like break to be like, okay, now I'm a professional. Who am I gonna train with? Who am I gonna you know get my body right with? It was like I was still training at home and. Um, in my garage with yeah. my org, talking to my Oregon trainers, trying to figure out what I need to do, strength, you know, strength coaches. And so it's like, I, I didn't have anyone that was like, oh, this is what you need to do as a professional athlete. You just had no, the Liberty was too much, right? The Liberty were probably figuring out what the WNBA was. Everyone on the Liberty was figuring out their life and had no time to get to know each and one, every one of you guys. Um, so you were dealing with Oregon to get ready to go play as, a rookie in the WNBA. Yeah, like I was talking to my coaches, talking to the strength coaches, like, hey, what do you think I should be lifting? What do you think I should be doing? Because I have no idea. We didn't have a strength coach in the bubble, so everyone was kind of just doing their own lift programs. And I was like, well, I'll try and figure out something to do here. Oh my God. And was the accommodations as bad as it kind of was made to seem? Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't. I don't think that they could have done much of a of a better job. Just it being at IMG Academy, and it was kind of last minute. At least we had a season, and it didn't get canceled. But they weren't ideal. I mean, the fact that you couldn't see anybody and like you FaceTime a lot of FaceTime. Yeah, wild. Um, and then three games into the season, I remember you had had a really good second game. Is yeah. that what it was? Mm -hmm. 
And what happened in the third game that year? Yeah, well, we were, I think we were going to win. We were close. We had lost the first two games. And so in that third game, I had made some hustle plays before. We kind of started to get the lead and then um, called for an outlet. And as soon as I turned around, someone's foot just came right under. And all I remember is having my ankle touch the ground. Like it just completely turned. And I'd knock on wood, like had never hurt my ankle before then. So I just laid there and I didn't really know. Like I didn't scream. I didn't do My face was just kind of blank. Like something's wrong, but I'm not sure what. Yeah. And so that was interesting. I mean, we had to leave the bubble. We had to ask for an exemption. There was not really like a place to get MRI there. So I had to find some hospital in Florida to go and get imaged. And, um, you know, then I had a grade three sprain. So then I had to leave the bubble, but you couldn't come back. So if you wanted to leave, you then had a quarantine for another two weeks to come back. So it's like, if you're leaving, you're, you're not coming back. So I was like, yeah, I'm I'm not not coming back here. That is insane. And, and this is this kind of injury or any injury, you had never had anything like this before? No. I mean, I never missed more than like a couple games in my like career. So it was definitely the first time that I was like, okay, I'm going to be out for a couple months. Not sure how long, but a couple months turned into like a year, yeah. a year and a half. So that was, you know, something I wasn't really expecting, but I've kind of just rolled with the punches. Because when you got hurt to when the WNBA started again, it was almost like an entire year. Yeah, it was almost a year. So was that year, you know, the thing about you, and that's about when I met you, um, even when you don't love what's happening, you always seem to have an optimistic mindset in general. Um, But that whole year being what everyone in the world was going through on top of what you had just dealt with, loss, injury, the wobble. It's hard to even say the wobble without laughing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Were you down? Would you say that was like a down time in your life that year? I think it it was. Like, I really wanted to play. Like, I, I had missed the opportunity to win a national championship, and that's all I ultimately wanted in college. So I was so looking forward to coming into the WNBA and like winning, turning a program around, continuing to make a name for myself because no one thought that I could do what I did in college and the pros. And I was just, you know, really, really eager to do that. So I would say like, as soon as I went out with injury and got hurt, I didn't know how long it was for. So I was optimistic that I would return. And then when I kind of figured out I wouldn't, and it would be a whole nother like season that I would have to wait until I could play. That's when I was like, dang, this like sitting out really sucks. Yeah. And you were home. You weren't around the Liberty during any of that. No, I was home because they were still playing. And then after every season, everyone goes and plays overseas and does their own thing. So it was like I was there for two weeks and then I didn't see them until the next season. And was there a business as the number one pick, even though you had gotten hurt, but the entire country knowing who you were, was there business during that year that started to come to fruition at all? Yeah, like I signed um, with Nike and I, and I had some big partners like Body Armor and, and people that I signed with like right when I got drafted. And it was nice to see like, even though I had such a serious injury, like a lot of them still stood by my side and um, like kind of through thick and thin, they never really doubted if I was gonna come back and be the same player I was, which for me now, like being healthy, I look back on that and like I have a great appreciation for those yeah. companies that like rocked with me even when I was hurt and not playing. and wasn't able to produce or wear their product on the court. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, you know, there's there's very little 
at times that brands know how to do when an athlete's not performing. They don't have the creativity at times to say like, all right, they're out, they're down, this is how we'll reinvent. And you had just entered into sports. So that is very cool. But those are brands that had seen you grow and had been close to you. Um, and was business something during that year that you found as like a nice distraction, something that you were interested in, or was it something that was on top of, oh my God, I'm dealing with all these things, but I'm also the number one pick and I am Sabrina Ionescu and now I have these partnership deals. I think it was a little both. I think at first it was like, I knew I had to do what I had to do and business was always gonna be a priority for me. But I think while I was rehabbing and figured out like, I haven't proven myself yet in this league, I think I was a little embarrassed at times too. Like, wow, you know, I have to do all these things, but I haven't proven to the rest of the league or the rest of the world that I am who I know I am and, and I'm not able to produce at, at the highest level. So I think that took a little bit of a while for me to like, kind of yeah. come into my own and figure out what I need to do to get myself out of that and just be like, well, these companies believe in me, I believe in me. So whether I'm not able to produce now, it's kind of a long game and I just have to continue to yeah. buy into that process. Did you feel in the wobble or even in your year back um, when you first started that what was kind of your rookie season, did you feel a little bit of like, uh, she's the number one pick, not from your teammates, but just around the league, like this, she gets all the deals, she hasn't played. Did you feel that energy ever? I still feel that. You do? Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think like I have a target on my back and I know, and I know that. Um, and I think at first it was, I was just trying to please everyone. Like I don't, I don't like to be known as like the number one pick. I just want to be Sabrina. I want to come in, do my job, win. Um, so I think that's taken a little bit, you know, of an, of an adjustment for me to be like, all right, at the end of the day, everyone's trying to be the best that they can. Everyone's trying to grow their business. And I can't worry how other people perceive me. I just yeah. have to continue to be true to myself. Yeah, I mean, that's a rare thing that I always say, you know, being so close to athletes and now being older and having some life perspective is that's hard for anyone to do. But we have this expectation that like public figures are supposed to just have that ability to deal with the fact that they have a target on their back because you're successful, you know, or because um, you were drafted first, things that are out of your control. But the fact that you can innately deal with it is what makes you a number one pick. And that is how it all works, right? That same demeanor is what has made you so great. But I think also with that, fans believe that once an athlete steps on the court from an injury, that they're better. And it's why a lot of times athletes don't necessarily rush back when fans think they're taking too long because as soon as they step up to bat or step on the rink or step on the field, if they're not performing as someone would expect them to, they're not like, well, yeah, they are coming back from a torn up ankle. Yeah, and I experienced that a lot, like just reading comments, listening to everything that the people were talking about. It was, I was a bust. I wasn't gonna be able to play at this level. Um, the Liberty made a mistake drafting me. There was so much that I was hearing and I knew people were talking about because I wasn't healthy. And I think looking back now, um, I learned a lot. Like I shouldn't have come back and played as soon as I did, but I've never gone through an injury. So I, I just thought like, all right, I'm in pain, but this is kind of the growing process of getting your ankle used to that load again. I wasn't really sure exactly how much pain and discomfort I should be feeling. And so Looking back, I, I shouldn't have played as early as I did and through as much pain as I did. Um, but yeah, it was hard dealing with a lot of the people that just thought I, I just wasn't playing yeah. like that because I wasn't capable. Yeah. 
do you feel like you rushed yourself back uh, or in hindsight, were you healthy enough, but you just needed that year to get yourself ramped up? No, I, I rushed myself back. Um, it, it was pretty complicated. Like the injury I had, it was the outside and the inside of the ankle. So it, it took a really long time for me to get back and just to the level that I play at. I cut a lot, I move a lot. And so I think I would have been able that year to come back, like last season. It just, it shouldn't have been as, as early as it did. I had gotten an injection like three weeks before training camp had started. And I was just like, I'm good. Like, I want to be in training camp. Yeah. I want to prove to my teammates that I want to be here. I, I hadn't I hadn't known them. I hadn't yeah. played with them for, you know, more than two games. And so there was this, just this desire to prove to my teammates, like, I'm going to battle through any pain that I'm going through. I'm going to come back to play for you guys. But that ended up hurting me in the end. Yeah. And so you do this, though, in, in the backdrop is you're moving to New York City and you had been living in on the West Coast and on campus and even when you went during the pandemic, never got a chance to live in New York City. So you're going through this now and getting accustomed to living in New York. And I remember speaking to you and it was like, I'm living right by the facility. I'm living right by the arena. And, you know, you weren't really ready to explore all of it because you were getting yourself back. But was even that adjustment as like, oh, now I'm an actual rookie in New York City as the first pick. and this is all brand new. Was that like a lot to overcome as well last year? Yeah, well also like New York's so like busy, so upbeat, there's so much stuff going on. And so yeah, like moving here, my entire family, all my friends are all on the West Coast. Like I didn't have anyone here. And so that was kind of an adjustment in itself, particularly like still going through injuries, still feeling down, like still not being all there mentally as well as physically. And so I didn't really do too much last year. I kind of just like stayed in my apartment because physically I couldn't, but also just like mentally, it's like I didn't really love the city because I wasn't able to perform. And so um, that kind of took a while for me to be like, okay, I've come into my own. I love like living here. It, it brings me like good memories instead of bad memories of like, I'm just hurt yeah. in New York City. And it feels like, you know, there's a little bit of a, or a lot of a lack of education as it relates to women's sports. Uh, which is something we talk about. It's what um, Just Women's Sports' this entire mission is about. And um, I think, like, because of that, people just said, wow, well, Sabrina's Sabrina. They didn't look in between the lines that you were still struggling from your injury. So it was either that you weren't performing up to speed or here you are with this Nike deal and body armor deal. Um, and your business kept growing. Was there a bit of you that was like even more reticent now because you didn't feel like yourself on the court to say, you know what, like I have all this, I want this, this is part of my long-term vision, but right now it's almost a bit humbling because I don't feel like myself. Yeah, like that off season after, you know, the season I played hurts, like I just kind of tried to shut down everything and I was really low key, like I just rehabbed every single day and just kind of devoted myself to that and I didn't really want to like post all this stuff and what I was doing and the brands that I was working with because I was a little like nah like I'm not playing where I need to be I understand that I deserve you know I deserve everything that I have and I'm honored to be able to represent these companies and do these things but like it was more of like just wait like I yeah. want to be where I need to be mentally and physically in order to like be the best version of myself that I can for you guys and yeah. so I took a, I kind of took a break because I was like personally embarrassed and I was just like, this is not acceptable. Like I need to be better. 
And so now that I'm able to have gotten like healthy, it's like, yeah, I rock with these companies. <laughs> and was, did you work? I remember you saying you'd never worked harder on your body than you had in that off season. Was it just like a new level of commitment and focus? Before it was like just hoop, like all I would do all day, like six, seven hours would just play basketball. But then I realized like coming back rehabbing, like there were days where I couldn't work out on the court for six, seven hours because I had just gotten surgery. And yeah. so I was needing to find other ways to get better. So it was an entire commitment from like yoga, swimming, to uh, playing other sports, doing treatment, like I was just finding any way that I could to get better if it wasn't necessarily playing basketball. And I've just kind of understood my body a lot better. Like sometimes more isn't always the answer. Yeah. There's other ways that you can get better and stay fresh and be able to play at 100% than just like pounding yourself into yeah. the ground. And then when you came back to camp this year, was it like um, music in the background, driving to practice, <laughs> you're getting yourself, you know what it is. This is like, you have to show up this year. Yeah, no, I was ready. Like. I woke up probably like five hours before training camp early in the morning. Like I was just ready. Like I knew that this was going to be the year that I was finally able to play like myself and win or lose. Like as long as I could play to the best of my ability and I can train as much as I want and, and just be fully present, like I was going to be happy. Yeah. And so I'm very happy with the fact that like I can go train for three or four hours if I want. And there's no one sitting there like monitoring my load and telling me that yeah. uh, you can't. You got to take this day off. It's like, no, I'm able to show up and show my teammates that like I'm committed. I want I want to be the best and lead by example. But did you think you could do this? Did you think you could average 17 points, seven rebounds, six assists, have a 30 point triple double? Um, because even in the beginning of the year, you knew you felt better, but I don't know if you had any expectation, right? Yeah, be because it was my first year that I was finally healthy. Like, I wasn't sure, like, what teams were going to do defensively. I, I just wasn't sure, like, how I was going to fit in on the team because last year my role was so different because yeah. I wasn't able to perform. So it was a whole kind of new learning curve for me, particularly at the beginning of the year. But I would say like, I'm still not where I want to be like physically, mentally with it being my first year. I think it was a lot of learning. And so I'm excited for this off season. Like there's no rehab. I'm just going to be able to train and work on my body to be even better. And so next season, um, I can just be that much better. Are there some women that, you know, like you said, there's some that, um, see you and you have a target on your back, but are there some that have really, in your opinion, gone out of their way to, tell you like, look, we see you, we know it's tough, got your back? Candace Parker, yeah, I'll never, like last year, we were on the free throw line and I was hurting, like I, I was, like my ankle was so bad, like I was, when I went home after practice or after games, like I was limping on, I was jumping on one leg because I could not put my foot down and I was finding ways to play and so obviously I never talked about it, never told anyone, like my trainers didn't know, my coaches didn't know, no one knew, but she came up to me at the free throw line and was like, I, I know you're in a lot of pain, like get your get your body healthy and like then you'll be ready to perform. And so I was like, this is really cool because I just felt like no one knew what I was going through. And at the end of the day, like no one really cares, like people are out there to be the best that they can and succeed. And so when I was able to hear that from her, it was like, OK, this is cool. Someone has my back and someone understands kind of like what I'm going through and the target that I have. And so we've gotten even closer through the, through that's this great. last year. And so I'll always really appreciate her for that. And there's no one that's balanced it as well as she has, has carried the league on her back the way she has. That's an incredible person to kind of pull you aside. Do you 
Do you see the growth in the league? Do you see the excitement around the WNBA changing and the familiarity with so many more of the women in the league? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone is starting to kind of just come into their own and grow their brands. And I think it's starting at the college level now, too, because those that's the that's the future. That's kind of what's what's happening. But I think with us just getting more visibility, more fans, hopefully expansion teams like it's definitely up and coming and it's starting to be where it needs to be. And you talk about at the college level, NIL, which, you know, was probably very black or white as it related to women's sports. Men's sports, there was always this blurry line, and clearly we all know that NIL wasn't the first time ever that some of these universities have been able to monetize students. But for women, I doubt that existed as much. Um, but now there's so many companies and so many brands and so many young stars that are coming out and showing who they are both on the field and as an entertainer, as an influencer. Um, and because of that, there's just so much more awareness. People know who some of these athletes are. Is Division Street something that because of that, like you really feel some pride in because you can bring that direct pipeline back to Oregon? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, and I know Phil Knight was really kind of the mastermind behind trying to create something like this for all student athletes. And obviously I'm really close to him and so wanting to do whatever I can to give back. But I think it's really cool having a program like that able to directly give back to student athletes. And you don't have to be necessarily the 1% that's gonna end up playing pro, but it's for the acro and tumbling, for the golf, for a lot of those programs that necessarily aren't the highest um, you know, recognition wise or aren't really being represented in, in the best way. They're able to figure out like, what do they want to do with their career? What is it that they want their brand to be? And they're able to figure that out, not after they leave college and don't know what they want to do with getting a job. They're able to figure that out in college and figure out, all right, this is what I want to do if, if, if I'm not going to play golf or basketball after, or even if I am, what are different ways that I can continue to be um, into the person that I want to become? Yeah. And do you think brands are uh, more knowledgeable and more excited as well from your conversations? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, a lot of these young athletes are ha have bigger platforms than some people do at a professional level. And so I think they are. And obviously they have the university behind them to back them and continue to help them. And so I think that's what's really cool with Division Street is like it's just this buffer between the brands and the direct kind of correlation with the student athletes. And Nike has obviously made a major, major commitment to women's sports, has for a while now. And you're a big part of Nike business. Nike something that's really important to you, being that you're close with Phil, you went to Oregon, um, and just it's Nike, you know, like when you love it, you love it. Is that a big part of the future for you? Yeah, I mean, I hope to always be a Nike athlete and to, to represent them, you know, forever. But I think obviously being from um, Oregon and having gone there, um, like it's such a huge part of of what I represent as a person, but also just what we re represented there as a university. And so it's really cool to see what they're doing just in the women's space and investing in the WNBA, investing kind of all across the board, particularly in the youth, because that is the next, you know, the next me is somewhere out there. Yeah. You gonna get a signature shoe? Hopefully, that's the goal. That's the goal, <laughs> you should get one. That's the goal. All right, well, thank you so much. Um, you know how I feel about you. Likewise. You got a playoff push in front of you. Yes. And you've had an amazing season, but I know you like winning too. Yes. So good luck the rest of the year. 
We should do this more. We should. I like this terrace setup for Me us. Me too. This is nice. It's a good hang. It's not too hot. Not yeah. too hot. Well, I appreciate it. I reminisce, I reminisce.